0: When we come to 1 Peter 3, beginning at verse 13, we come to a wonderful passage that essentially presents to us our suffering and our victorious Savior. His name is Jesus. And verse 13 begins our consideration of Christ this morning. And who is there to harm you? if you prove zealous for what is good. My mother taught me that I had nothing to fear when I saw a policeman unless I was doing wrong. And that is so true. There is a principle in this passage that may startle you and it's this, that as we chase after good, God's definition of good, we can expect that usually, normally, typically, we are not going to be harmed by others. When you decide in your mind and in your will that you are going to chase after good, knowing that chasing after good may be risky to you, may be costly to you, may be inconvenient for you, may cause you to be misunderstood. When you choose to chase what is good, and sometimes you will be mocked for it, God says typically, usually you won't suffer harm for doing that. Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. In the New Testament, there are four different kinds of ifs. Four different kinds of conditional clauses or ifs. The first class if in New Testament Greek expects a situation to be so. I could illustrate by saying, if I am a man, such and such is so. That's a first class if in the New Testament. A second class if expects the situation not to be so. Let me illustrate. If I stood up before you this morning and said, if I am a woman, thus and so, that's a, that's a second class if in the New Testament. In the Greek New Testament, there is a third class if, and that if expects a 50-50 chance of something happening. That's the if that says, uh, if it doesn't rain tomorrow, I'm gonna go to the beach. By the way, First 1 John 1, 1.9 has this kind of a third-class condition if, when it says, if we confess our sins, that's 50-50 chance. Either we do, we don't. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we've got three conditional ifs in the New Testament that we've looked at. Now we come to the one that's in our passage. It's the fourth-class conditional if in the New Testament. There are only four of these ifs in the whole New Testament, only four, and two of these four appear in our passage for this morning. Very rare, a fourth-class if expects a situation which is highly improbable, very unlikely to happen. It would be like me saying, this kind of if would be like me saying, if it snows in Nassau, I will eat my shirt with salt and pepper. If it snows in Nassau, I will eat my shirt. We have two of these kinds of ifs, fourth class condition ifs in this passage, and there's only four of them in the whole New Testament. One of them appears in verse 14, and the other one appears in verse 17. 14, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed, and do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, skipping down to verse 17, for it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. In verse 14, God is telling us suffering for the sake of righteousness is going to be rare, It's going to happen rarely, but not very often. Christians will be harmed for being zealous for what is good, but it won't happen very often. It's improbable, all things being equal. Now we skip down to verse 17 to see that second thing which our God tells us is very unlikely to happen to us. Verse 17 again. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. You may recall earlier in this preaching series, I've differentiated between sour suffering and sweet suffering. And have made the point that sour suffering is par for the course. Sour suffering is suffering because you deserve suffering. For instance... A student just failing to study for an exam and failing the exams, that's sour suffering. You had it coming. Or the person who's warned by the physician to change their diet, to change their exercise regimen, and they refuse to do what the doctor says and they get diabetes. That is sour suffering. That's suffering for doing wrong. What we've got here is not sour suffering, what we've got here is sweet suffering. Sweet suffering, suffering for what's doing what you've done right. Suffering because you played it by the book. Sweet suffering. And grammatically here in these two verses, God is saying that it isn't at all common for you to be called by him to suffer for doing what's right but when you do count it a blessing count it a blessing 14 but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled suffering for doing what's right. It can happen, but God says it won't happen very often. Now, the point of verse 14 is not only that it's going to be rare that a Christian will have to suffer for chasing what's good. The verse also makes the point that when we do suffer for chasing after good, albeit rare, then we are to see it as a blessing, not as a ripoff, not as an agitation, not as some kind of a evidence that God doesn't love us anymore, but to see when we're called in that rare occasion to suffer for what is do- we are doing right, then to see that instance as a blessing. A blessing. How does that work? Verse 15 tells us how that works. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. In the rare times that you are called by God to suffer for chasing good, in those times you can choose To sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. You can decide to set the Lord Jesus apart in your heart and all of its affections and give him the highest place when you're suffering for doing what's right. That's how you mark it as a blessing. And those times, when rare times, when we are called to suffer for righteousness' sake, those are precious times. They're unique times. They're wonderful times. Because those times in particular afford us the opportunity and the reason to set Jesus Christ apart as being supreme and above all else in our affections and in our trust. These times, these rare times, when God wills it that we suffer sweet suffering, the kind of suffering that Jesus suffered, when we suffer for doing what's right, these times are special times in our lives. These times are pivotal times in our lives, decisive times in our lives, preaching times in our lives, without us even saying a word. I think of Brother Stephen Fu, Chinese brother, many of you remember Stephen. You recall perhaps that he answered an internet employment posting in China and he came to the Bahamas to work on the Bahamar construction site as an interpreter between the Chinese workers and the English-speaking supervisors on the job site. And in the course of coming to the Bahamas, he came with as a despondent young man, not sure at all of the meaning of life and as an atheist. And he noticed there was a, white-helmeted construction supervisor every lunch who had earbuds in his ears and a Bible opened on his lap. And Stephen eventually went up to this man and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm listening to Christian Bible teaching and preaching a podcast, and I'm following the Bible. And Stephen said, could I do that with you? And over time, as the lunches got to be more and more, and Stephen got to hear about the existence of God and the love of God and the plan of God for salvation and the Son of God as the Savior. And Stephen, communist, atheist Stephen, despondent Stephen, trusted the Lord Jesus, miraculously saved him, made him totally new. Some local pastors, including Pastor Lee, began to take Stephen Fu under their arms and They would go to the job site on lunch hours, and they would teach the Bible, explain the Bible to Stephen as a brand new brother in Christ. After this pattern for some time, one lunch hour when they were ministering the word of God together, the phone rang, Stephen's phone rang, and uh, he spoke, and then he hung up and told the pastors, I must go right away. They called the special staff meeting. I must be in attendance. They told me I must be in attendance. So he left. The next time they were scheduled to meet with Stephen, the pastors met with him, and they said, what was that staff meeting about? You don't normally have staff meetings over lunch hour. And Stephen said, there was no staff meeting. They're watching me, and they're not pleased that you're teaching me the Bible. So the pastor said, well, that's not right in the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. That's religious persecution. We're going to address that and get that straightened away. And do you know what Stephen said? No, because if you do that, it will make it even harder for the other Chinese Christians on New Providence. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. That's what Stephen did. As I had the pleasure of getting to know Stephen as his pastor in due time, he was sharing his heart, his conviction that God was calling him to train to be a pastor in the underground church of China. You know there's a church in China that's above the ground, and it's all propaganda. It just preaches what the government wants preached. But there's an underground church, an unseen church, a church that is persecuted. And Stephen felt called to be a pastor in the underground church. And so I said to him, brother, do you realize you could be imprisoned? Yes. And do you realize you could be killed? And he looked me right in the eyes and he said, yes, pastor. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Stephen applied to Dallas Seminary. And he received one of the rare full scholarships full scholarships for four years in the THM program. But when he applied for his student visa, he was declined. This is what he emailed me after that. Unfortunately, I got rejected by the embassy a couple of days ago. I will try one more time later if it's still not approved, and I will do online courses with Dallas Seminary. This is the point. God may think of this even better for me. Watch it. So I will go with God. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. You know what that's like? That's like concrete... Parking lot with a seedling tree growing out of the concrete. When we face opposition for doing right and we see it as a blessing. And we set apart Jesus Christ in our hearts as having first place, it's like someone looking into our life and seeing a seedling tree growing out of concrete. And they want to know how does that happen? (laughs) How does that happen? How does a seedling tree grow out of concrete? How does a Christian who's being opposed for doing right in his life or her life, how do they grow on and sanctify, put Jesus Christ first in their affections, their decisions, their priorities, their spending? How does that happen? But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. They're going to ask you to give an account for the hope that is in you if they see you as a seedling tree growing out of concrete. Sanctifying Christ in your hearts as Lord. When you're suffering and you're doing right, they're going to ask you. Will you notice there are two attitudes to give that hope to those persons asking you about being a seedling tree tree in concrete? One is toward God and one is toward people. The attitude toward people in verse 15 is with gentleness. And the attitude Godward in verse 15 is with reverence. You know, one of the things that I pray about as your pastor and makes me kind of sad if I'm honest with you, is how few adults in our assembly go to adult Sunday school. It's a small percentage. And it makes me sad because adult Sunday school is another opportunity every week for you to be equipped to provide a biblical sound defense for the hope that lies within you as seedling trees growing out of concrete. You need Sunday school. Sunday school is not just for children. And we have an excellent Sunday school for children and an excellent Sunday school for adults. Some years ago, the Barna Research Group did a poll of American adults who described themselves as being born-again Christians only 25% could explain the Great Commission. Only 50% could explain John three 16. 43% could explain the term evangelical. And 16% could not explain what the gospel means. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. We need to be like another Chinese believer, not Stephen Fu. This Chinese believer stood up at a gospel meeting in China and began to weep. And after regaining his composure, he prayed fervently, oh God, forgive me. I've been a dummy Christian. When I was saved, the devil told me to let ministers do the preaching. He convinced me that I didn't need to witness. I listened to his lie, Lord, and for many years I've been living in silence, while souls around me are lost. The man told the Lord how much he loved the Lord and how he was determined to tell others about him. Going back to the man's words, I realize now, he concluded, that when you said you were my witnesses, you weren't speaking to your disciples alone, but to all believers. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asked you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Sunday school begins every Sunday at 9.30. I hope that you will make a decision to start going next Sunday if you do not at this time do so. Verse 16 ties back to the thought of verse 13. That verse 13's thought that Christians should be zealous for what is good. Verse 16 says, and keep... A good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. We are to maintain a clean conscience before God. I try to maintain a clean SUV before an Nassau. That requires getting it washed weekly, getting it vacuumed weekly we are to do something far more serious than keeping our vehicles clean. We are to keep our consciences clean. We are to keep short accounts with God and when we are aware of sin, we are to confess and agree with God about our sin being sin just as soon as we know we've committed the sin and then certainly by the end of every day before we go to sleep. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Verse 16 reminds us of 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, the verse that tells us exactly what to do when we're waiting to holding the Lord's Supper elements in silence. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We are to be allowing the Spirit of God as a matter of course to search us for unconfessed sin constantly not just at the lord's supper and when we do so and when we keep up the date in our confession of sin we're forgiven and we have fellowship full and rich with the savior and our consciences are perfectly calm and they're perfectly quiet and perfectly clean And our pillows are soft under our heads in our beds at nights. And we can look ourselves in the mirror without regret or guilt. Verse 16 reminds us of another fringe benefit of a good and a clear conscience. A good and a clear conscience puts to shame those who make false allegations against us. Beth is in Alabama this today, and she'll be there through next Saturday with her dad. Her dad is 92 years old, and he's been a preacher for over 60 years. He's now retired. Two years ago, he retired, 90. His first pastorate was in Columbus, Ohio. He was an associate pastor with a Dr. Ashbrook. Dr. Ashbrook was a fine pastor principled, godly pastor and man. But there were some persons in Dr. Ashbrook's congregation, they were leaders, and they did not like him, and they had it in for him, and they were going to trump up things to get him out of their church. Isn't that vile? And so Dr. Ashbrook was to wire some mission support money to a missionary in the Far East, And he did. But remember, there's no fax, there's no email, there's not even telephone service. So communication is virtually impossible. So he wires the money, and there's no recognition from the missionary that she she got the money. So these scallywags make the charge against Dr. Ashbrook that he absconded with money. And they started denominational proceedings, and they got him defrocked wasn't true. Took away his credentials as a minister. A wise church hired him immediately because they knew his character and knew these charges were not true. When the missionary was going to come back to America, she contacted the home church, not even knowing that Dr. Ashbrook had been forced out and said that she'd like to meet with Dr. Ashbrook and the leaders of the church to update them on her mission's work. The meeting was arranged to be in a house, private house. Dr. Ashbrook arrived first, and then all his accusers arrived uh, dribs and drabs after him, and the missionary didn't arrive until last. Can you imagine sitting in that parlor with those skunks? Awkward. She comes into the room and she says, Oh, Dr. Ashbrook, I'm so glad to see you. Two years ago, when you wired $535 from the church, it came at just the right time. But I've been too sick to acknowledge it. Do you know what happened? One by one, those snakes slithered out the back door of the house without saying a word. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. That's what Dr. Ashbrook did always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, here it is, and keep a good conscience, he did, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, he was, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, and they were. Verse 17 reminds us that if The rare situation is willed of God that we would suffer for doing what is right. It is far better to suffer for doing what is right than for suffering for doing what is wrong. Sweet suffering is far better than sour suffering. Now, verse 18 concludes our verses for today as it beautifully sums up just how our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ supremely suffered for doing what was right. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having put to death in the the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Very quickly in verse 18. Will you notice that our Savior died once for all. So, the Roman Catholic concept of transubstantiation, where the priest prays over the bread and the cup and believes that he turns it into the actual body and actual blood of Jesus, do you know what that means? If that was what was happening, then they are re crucifying Christ every Mass? We don't believe that. The Lord's Supper to us is memorial symbolic. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. When you think about how in the world rebels like me and you could be made right with a pristine, perfectly pure and holy God, we never would have thought that God could die for us. And if we could fathom that God could die for us, we never would have imagined that God would die for us in our places to bring us to himself. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for instead of on behalf of the unjust in order that he, Christ, might bring us to God. He's the one who brings us to God. We don't bring ourselves to God. Having put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. What a passage. And you're sitting there, and I'm standing here, and we're wondering how would the Holy Spirit have us to Receive this paragraph? How would the Holy Spirit have us to be changed by this paragraph? How would the Holy Spirit design that we would live this paragraph? Well, let me just suggest a few things. We are to chase down what is good. We are to ask the Holy Spirit, what is the good that I can do today to my next door neighbor, to my teacher? By the way, you who are in school, Do you understand how terribly rigorous and demanding and hard it is to be a teacher? Maybe the good that God the Holy Spirit would have you to do as a Christian student is to go to your teacher and thank her for being your teacher. Thank him for being your teacher. And pray for your teacher, right with your teacher, for God to help him or her. That's just an example. But all of us are to chase down what's good. Do you know somebody on your street who can't maintain their yard? Do you have a lawnmower or a yard man? What about if you took that on to love your neighbor? Chase down the good that God would have you to chase down. Maybe, married man, there is something that your wife has been expressing to you for years that would bless her. Fixing a dripping faucet. Getting a car maintained so it's dependable and won't break down on JFK. Chase the good. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to chase the good. And then, could you be this morning suffering quietly, without fanfare, for doing right? Could be with your employer. It could be with classmates at school. Could be somebody misunderstanding you in our assembly. Could you, with the Holy Spirit's help, decide to sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart? I don't know everything, why it's happening, Lord, but I know, Lord Jesus, you I'm putting aside and up to be the highest one in my heart. The one I think about when I'm free to think about anything. The one I love more than anyone else. The one I serve with my best, not my leftovers. You could ask the Holy Spirit to help you with that. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for the sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. Oh God, we thank and praise you for who you are and for who you are making us to be. We want to be seedling trees that grow out of concrete. Followers of Jesus, whose quality of life and speech causes people to flock to us and ask what in the world is giving you hope. Lord, thank you for teaching us this morning drive the truth home in my life and in the lives of all the assembly. For I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.